This Short Code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Code Podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews. By students, for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcode.com. We'd like to welcome you guys today to a special episode of The Short Coat. I um, to talk a little bit about the MSTP, which is the Medical Scientist Training Program, uh, of which uh, Jaden Bowen. Hello, everyone. And I, Aline Sanduk, um, participate in here at the University of Iowa. So um, we've noticed over the last couple of years, and I think over the lifetime of the show, that a lot of listeners call in with questions about research and working in a lab and you know med school applications being enhanced by research experience and short-term, long-term of all kinds. Um, And occasionally we get questions about why people would want to pursue an MSTP or dual training or any kind of research path as an MD. Um, So we decided to record uh, a special episode for you guys to talk about, um, guys and gals, to talk about what dual training is, why you would want to do it, what it involves, um, and we'll have some folks in here to tell us their special stories about why they decided to go down this road. Yeah, so before we dive into that, Aline, can you tell me what an MSTP is? Yes, Jaden, I can. (laughs) So an MSTP, uh, as opposed to an MD-PhD program, um, with the distinction being that an MSTP is funded by the NIH, um, which you know, just indicates a different source of funding, but they're all very good programs. Um, So essentially an MSTP uh, is a program in which uh, students earn two doctorate degrees, an MD and a PhD. And different programs do it differently, but here at Iowa, um, students will do the first two years of medical school, um, take their uh, step one, the first step of the licensing exam, Um, to be able to practice medicine and then do a couple of rotations before starting their PhD, um, which they will finish, defend, and then come back to medical school for their clinical rotations and then graduate, at which point they get both of their degrees because you can't get your PhD when you defend. You must wait until the end of your medical training. (laughs) And I might add, that's specific to Iowa. There are other places where you, you go back to the wards as a doctor of philosophy in immunology or cell biology etc is that right yeah do they put it on your badge do they give you like a new badge with that i don't know that's a good question i imagine your attendings and residents get very upset if people refer to you as doctor though (laughs) (laughs) and all you have is the phd so that's doctor moron to you exactly (laughs) so and so (laughs) Please refer to me with my proper title if you're going to pimp me during rounds. So what I'm hearing you say is that all MSTP programs are MD-PhD programs, but not all MD-PhD programs are MSTP programs. So we've just got a whole like alphabet soup here. Yes, we do. Yeah. So MSTPs are only different because they're funded by an NIH T32 training grant. Is that correct? I would say so. Okay. 
Yeah, so um, non-MSTP, MD-PhD programs, um, you still earn an MD and a PhD. You are still typically funded um, for your tuition and a stipend, as with an MSTP program. It's just a different source of funding. So mm -hmm. another term I would like to have you define for us is physician scientist. Oh, that's a great yeah. one. Because if you have an MD, PhD, you are in theory perfectly trained to become a physician scientist. Mm -hmm. But is an MD, PhD necessary to be a physician scientist? That's a great question, Jaden. Um, a physician scientist is someone who um, trained as a physician and may or may not have a doctorate degree that trains them specifically to perform research. Um, the thought that came to mind when you asked me that was uh, NIH, actually, the National Institutes of Health, which is the federal um, agency for biomedical research. And um, one thing that's interesting about the history of NIH that maybe not a lot of people are aware of is that NIH in particular has a really strong tradition of MDs doing bench research. And so um, I think most research institutions will have, I would say, an equal proportion maybe of PhDs and MD-PhDs doing research side by side, um, and some MDs. But MDs typically will focus on clinical research, you know, involving clinical data as opposed to straight, basic, you know, wet lab work. But NIH in particular has like a disproportionate number of MDs running labs, which I think is really interesting and indicative of the history of the institution. So I think you you hit it right on the head. I have a, a little quote here I would like to read from uh, Amy Payne and Skip Brass, who, um, at least at the time that this article was written um, in 2013, you can find it in science. It's called Finding Nirvana, Paths to Becoming a Physician Scientist. <laughs> they start out trying to answer the question, what is a physician scientist? And they say, a physician scientist is an individual with an MD degree, and I might add, or a DO degree, with or without other graduate degrees for whom research and discovery are at least a major commitment. Physician scientists are likely to spend time in a clinical setting related to their research, but clinical care is not their major role. A little while later, they go on to say, Again, wherever they work, research and the discovery and application of new knowledge are their focus rather than the application of existing knowledge. Interesting. So I very much like their definition of physician scientist. It is anyone who is a physician who commits at least a portion of their time and efforts to discovering new knowledge. It's very inclusive, yeah. I noticed. Which is nice. I think there's something to be said about science and how democratic it is. Um, it's not always super accessible, so it's not in that sense democratic, but I think it's one of the few professions and disciplines that um, really transcends borders and culture. Like a PCR is the same in every country, right? Like cells are the same in every country. It doesn't matter what the person you know, says or does or what language they speak or where they live. It's sort of this unifying theme of nature and people who are interested in studying nature. Yeah. So uh, 
you mentioned we get a lot of questions about why. Why do people do MD, PhDs? Why do people become physician scientists? And we actually have a listener question um, that we got after our little MSTPTs um, in our last episode at the end of the episode. Um, and I can go ahead and read it. And if Dave would like to put in, you know, his his nice little voice there, that's fine. But I'm OK reading it. it says, hi, short coats. I have spent this last summer volunteering in a research lab, and I thought it was great. I'm interested in doing MD-PhD, and I was so excited when you all started talking about it at the end of the last episode. My question, for those of you in the MSTP program, is why do you want both degrees as opposed to just one or the other? Thanks, Samuel. So, I think that is a wonderful question, and maybe we should start kind of broadly kind of philosophical mm-hmm. why why do people do this to themselves why <laughs> why do why they, they get an md phd why are md phds supported and funded and encouraged and why do they matter do you want to do you want to take that as just kind of a, a philosophical question yes totally i think um, it used to be, I think at the beginning of the profession of med. of course, like medicine is a very old profession. It's thousands of years old. People have been cra- practicing quote unquote medicine for a long time. But in recent history, it seems like medicine had a strong scientific component where, you know, there weren't a lot of interventions and it was even, it was even very novel and advanced to be able to diagnose someone. And so there was, you know, a bit of trial and error at the beginning of like modern medicine, I would say in like the 20th century or the 19th century even. And as time went on, it seems like we accumulated so much medical knowledge that it became, I think, enough labor just to apply the medical knowledge. And so there there seemed at some point in the last century to be some sort of divergence maybe between physicians and scientists, you know, people who were dedicated to generating medical knowledge and then people who were more dedicated to applying and implementing medical knowledge. And I think there's a lot of value in having the dual training so that we can create a a population of people who bridge the gap between these two professions that essentially work hand in hand towards improving health and combating disease. And, you know, these two populations, because of this like evolutionary divergence kind of speak different languages and if you have people who can speak both and sort of live and are literate at the intersection of these two fields then you can make the most of the resources that are devoted to you know biomedical problems and health and disease and things like that yeah i I think think? you nailed it right on the head that (laughs) you hit a lot of the the little catchphrases i was hoping to introduce too, like bridge the gap Oh, um, perfect. No, use you know? it, do it. Yeah, and speaking different languages, I think that's all very true. Um, I think we've definitely seen this development to, as it exists now, MD training does not train you or teach you to be a scientist. Mm-hmm. And obviously, PhD training does not train you or teach you to be a physician. These are very distinct things. Um, and they think very differently. Physicians think about problems in a different way than scientists. And while there are physicians who 
um, you know, may not have formal scientific training that still understand lab research and how to think like a scientist. Um, and there's PhDs who may not have formal medical training, but still understand how a clinic works. It's still valuable to have people that, as you said, bridge the gap. Very and nice. I, I've got a little quote here um, from Angela Wong, um, MD, um, in her essay entitled The Physician Scientist. And she says, people often talk about physician scientists as if they were freaks of nature neither holy physician nor scientist but an unnatural combination of two breeds as if the two could not possibly occupy the same being or mind at the same time some analogies depict the physician as the engineer who applies the principles of the pure scientist hmm. physicians are said to practice the art of medicine and to be focused on making people feel better scientists on the other hand are detail-oriented motivated by a desire to understand underlying mechanisms so in your experience rubbing elbows with all these future physician scientists in the mstp program here do you think a combination of those two things describes most md phd students or md phds you know after their students yeah a hundred percent i would say it's I think there's an affinity for both and we don't really want to pick just one. We want to be able to do both. And I think Jaden has a really great story about this oh. from his <laughs> wedding that he could share that I thought was pretty apt. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure I know what you're talking about. Um, as I was going through the application process, um, I'm a first generation college student, so very few people in my family kind of understand the the process of becoming a physician, let alone a scientist. Um, and so I, I got lots of questions about, okay, so why? why? Why are you going to medical school, but also doing this extra thing? Um, and so I, I had one particular conversation. Um, I was talking about lots of these abstract ideas of bridging the gap between medicine and science and and wanting to bring the two together to better understand human disease and all of this nonsense. Um, but as I'm talking, my mother walks by, overhears the conversation, pauses just long enough to say he couldn't decide and then walks away. <laughs> and I know at least for me, that was very true. Um, you know, I, I wanted to be a physician that practices medicine I wanted to be a scientist and I honestly couldn't decide how to split my time. And then someone was like, Hey, here's a program where you can learn to do both. And also they'll pay. I was sold. <laughs> Sounds good to us. Yeah. All right. So we have some very special guests with us today. It is the incoming class of first year MSTP students here at the Carver college of medicine. Uh, you guys want to say hello kind of go around the table. I would introduce you, but I don't want to butcher everyone's names. Um, sure. I can start out. My name is Nate Mullen. Um, I'm an M1G, as Jaden said. I'm from Brookline, Massachusetts. Uh, I went to college at Case Western in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, after that, before starting here, I worked at Boston Children's Hospital. And what's your what's your research interest in a, in a sentence? Sure. I, I think my Broad research interest is uh, stem cell based uh, cell replacement therapies. Very cool. 
Hi, I'm Miranda Skeen. I think you know I'm an M1G. Um, I grew up in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I went to college at the University of Oklahoma, and I came straight here after that. Um, and my research interest is currently broadly biochemistry, but that's subject to change, preferably structural biology. But uh, Hi, everyone. My name is Hannah Van Ert. I uh, went to school at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Um, that awesome. And then my research interest broadly is I've uh, just done a lot of uh, cardiac arrhythmia and understanding the mechanisms at the cellular level of what causes those. So I really like that. Oh, and then I guess before I came here, I was working as a nurse because that's what I got my undergraduate degree in um, and also did research during those couple years too. Very cool. That's a that's a pretty unique track. Very unique, yes. To, to the MSTP. Yes. So yeah, is there anything about that that you felt really informed your decision? Yeah, so I actually got into my research lab at the same time as I got into nursing school. It was just like a fluke. I was just interested in research. I was like, I'm going to try this out. Um, and then I fell into the research and completely loved it and didn't see like an avenue within the nursing field to continue doing that. Um, and then I'd also, when I was in nursing school, wanted to go on to be like an advanced nurse practitioner. Um, and so some of my mentors were like, you know, there's this Thing. It's an MD PhD where you can do, you can get both degrees and you can have a career that's both research and medicine and you get to be like the director of the care team and all of those things just sounded really interesting to me. Very cool. And I'm, I'm sorry to pause our introductions, no, but no, she, not at all. she segued into that so well. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So hello everyone. My name is Hassan. Um, I am an incoming M1G like the rest of us. I am originally from Sudan, but I have been living in Iowa City since I was five years old. Did my undergraduate degree here at the University of Iowa, loved it so much that I decided to stick around for not only an MD, but a PhD as well. Um, broadly, my research interests are in refractory epilepsy and finding new therapeutic interventions for patients with refractory epilepsy. Awesome. So yeah, we've got people from all over mm -hmm. the spectrum of research interests. Uh, let's see here. We probably want to cut out a few seconds here, Dave, as I figure out what's happening. <laughs> yeah, so... Our next question, um, and we can go in whatever order you guys want to answer, but it's pretty simple. Why? Why did you choose to do this to yourself? <laughs> what demented thoughts did you have to make you decide to do two professional degrees? Um, I can, I guess, maybe start with that one. For me, like, obviously, I was in a professional career as, or in a professional school as nursing. Um and so the, the switch, I contemplated a lot about switching. And the thing for me was, is I don't really think you can have medicine without science. And the, because the medical the medicine field is so broad and we're always looking for new ways to treat people um, and looking for new ways to cure the, thing, the things that we see in clinic. So for me, you can't really have the medicine without science. And then the science or the medicine really informs the science too. So I don't know, they're just so intertwined that I really couldn't pick doing one or the other um yeah i think that's mine yeah my reasoning i'm sure a lot of people you know obviously you have to love science and think that you would love medicine or love the experience you've had so far but i, I was definitely introduced to uh medicine through physician scientists that i worked for in research and at the end of high school and in college um so for me the idea of you know i wanted to be a doctor because i thought a doctor is a physician scientist, basically. I hadn't been exposed to other sorts of physicians. Um, and then in college, I sort of realized that there's many other aspects of medicine. And the one that I thought 
you know, was the reason I wanted to be a doctor in general was actually a specific kind of doctor, the physician scientist. And I sort of realized this is the best training path to get to what I imagined the ideal type of doctor that I could be, would be. That's a lot of words, but yeah, I uh, sort of, I feel very lucky that this kind of program existed because it worked out to be, you know, what I imagined medical school to be from an early age. Uh, it sort of turns out to be what an MD-PhD program is, if that makes any cool. sense. Mm-hmm. I was also really happy that this kind of program existed because, like, I knew from a long time that I wanted to do research as my career, um, but then I got into a research lab in undergrad, and it was like what I saw the PIs doing was not what I imagined um, investigators would do. And so then I did some more investigating, and I found out, oh, I can get an MD at the same time. And then that, like, grounds your research in, like, practical stuff. Like, you get to not only, like, know what the clinical side is, but, like, experience with patients and work with it in a really practical setting. And then it was like, oh, you know, I can still explore this practical element and apply it to real-world scenarios without having to give up the research aspect. So it was just, like, really fortuitous that I discovered it when I did. Right. I think, for me, uh, you know, you hear stories like, like Nate's here, and that's a very ideal situation, in my opinion, you know, being exposed to medicine and research kind of at the same time. Mm -hmm. Uh, For me, personally, I I was kind of exposed to the medicine first, you know, Mm -hmm. regular MD, and that's kind of where my my love for medicine stemmed was just shadowing MDs, things of that nature. And then I was reintroduced, or sorry, introduced to the science later on. And so, um, you know, my love for medicine, I won't lie, kind of preceded my love for science. But once I was introduced to the sciences and the research and things of that nature, I kind of saw how the two fields could coexist in a way that that made them both blossom very beautifully. And that's when I discovered the MD-PhD program. And um, that's that's kind of why I kind of went into it. Yeah, Yeah, I I can really identify with that because I'm not sure if you guys know or not, but I graduated high school with 13 people. Mm -hmm. The only doctor I knew was the doctor I saw. Um, I didn't know any scientists. And so when I went to college and had a professor that really, you know, kind of showed me like research is something you can do Mm -hmm. research. You know, there are scientists out there, you know, it always kind of existed as an abstract notion. Um, You know, that really changed things for me because I had been on the pre-med path because it was the only thing that was a concrete thing you could do with an interest in science. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's it's very interesting to hear how everybody comes to making this decision or I kind of feel in my case not making a decision and just doing both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what do you think was the strongest part of your application? And do you have any advice for someone trying to decide if this is the right path for them? You know, I thought my application as a whole was actually pretty crappy. But, <laughs> you know, for, for me, there, there was one thing in particular was the fact that I was a biomedical engineer. I think a lot of what medicine has become and research as well is, is problem solving. And, you know, whenever they say that they really take a look at your application, quote unquote, holistically, and I know people don't really like that word, um, but it's, it's the truth. They really do. So if one part of your application isn't necessarily as strong as another one, um, you know, that's not going to be the end all be all to your application. Like my MCAT score wasn't very high personally, but I had other parts of my application that, that kind of made up for that. So uh, my advice to, to, you know, the incoming group of potential physician scientists is that don't get bogged down just because one part of your application may not be as strong as somebody else's. You know, they, they really take a look at your application holistically. And, you know, if one part of it is weaker than another, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, I, um, I, I, I definitely 
also identify with not being super confident in my application uh, going into it. You know, I think it's easy to be intimidated when you look at certain schools. The MSTP programs often have higher GPA averages and MCAT averages. And I sort of thought that was something I wanted to do. And it seemed like, you know, I, I had a good amount of research experience, but I was very intimidated by that. And I actually applied both to MD, PhD programs and MD programs just because I thought there's no chance I'm ever going to, you know, am I going to, uh, am I really going to be like in historically the lowest GPA they've ever accepted to this program? Am I that great? I don't think so. Uh, so I, you know, applied to both and didn't have much hope for the MD PhD programs. Um, and I was very surprised the interview, I got one MD only interview and the rest were MD PhD programs. And I never would have predicted that. And um, I think that the thing that led me to that is that the MD PhD programs are really interested in uh, the research side. And I think, I mean, I, I don't really know for sure, but I imagine they even take the applications more holistically. They have fewer applicants than the MD-only programs. Um, so I think that the volume of research that I had, but also the fact that I could write and speak about it um, in a way that implied that I actually understood what I had been doing, I think that's sort of what got me those interviews and allowed me to end up here. Uh, so yeah, if I had any advice, I think I would... If you feel like you want to do MD-PhD, just don't second guess yourself because you're intimidated by the other people that are applying for those. If you think it's a good fit and if you really you know, love science and all of that, I think it can, it can happen and you, know, you might find someone who's willing to look past weaker points in your application. Yeah. That's, that's a great point. And I think you, you kind of hinted at something that uh, maybe isn't really obvious although after you go through the, the process, you feel like it should have been, is that MSTP and MD-PhD programs really overemphasize research. Mm -hmm. Your research mm -hmm. experience, publications, presentations, et cetera, that is one of the, that is probably the biggest part of your application. And very strong experiences in research can make up for a lot yeah. in your application. Um, and that's why you see this growing trend of MSTP students in particular, and it's also happening with MD students, but taking time off yeah, yeah. after college to do more research and get more experience. So yeah, how about you guys? Yeah, well, I mean, definitely my research, I feel like was pretty strong. And that's part of the reason I decided to go whoop, um, directly into the program because like I'd been working in a lab for a couple of years in my undergrad and I got kind of lucky because I was in a lab that was mainly undergrad. So I got um, a bit of independent research experience. Um, and like if I were to use that as advice, I would say like, I think people tend to like overemphasize things like medical volunteering and stuff, but that they don't really enjoy. And so it's like one of the reasons I wanted to apply to a dual degree program was because I'd done the research and I'd done the volunteering and I knew I liked both. But, you know, I saw a bunch of people who really didn't like, you know, all the stuff they were doing to prep for medical school. And that included the research and yet they were still applying. And so it was kind of like I would say when you're applying, focus on the things that you enjoy or like, you know, if you don't like a research environment, try to find a different one. Because if you don't like what you're doing, then you're not going to want to spend eight years, oh gosh, uh, eight years doing it. So. <laughs> so I think I'm actually maybe slightly different than everybody else. I So because I have a nursing background, I feel like my like clinical side of my application was a little bit stronger than most people's. And I was actually a little bit nervous about my research experience. So like... Um, you know, in, in high school and college, I was really interested in science, but never thought like that I could do a PhD or like if I was brilliant enough to be a PhD. Um, 
And so I think working with my mentors and doing the like, I worked in a research lab all through, I think like for four years, Mm. but um, it's just working with my mentors and they really did help me like give me opportunities to, you know, work on projects by myself. And I got to, you know, write a couple of um, commentaries and clinical case studies with my mentor and stuff like that. So yeah, I do think like finding a good mentor, finding the environment to like really nurture that like scientific skill is good and something that I'm actually like looking forward to doing in my PhD too. Yeah. So. so did you feel that it was important to be able to, with your clinical background, be able to explain how you would bring that to research? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the what I actually think I might have written one of my essays about is for the last two years, I've been taking care of two grown adult siblings with spinal muscular atrophy. Um, and if you get into like the research that is going on and that there's like active ongoing research that's really cool that's helping especially little kids with like type 1 type 2 sma lead more quote-unquote normal lives um and so that was really cool and i feel like that's like one of the key examples of like here's my clinical experience and i know there's this really cool field of research out there and like that's another reason why i like that like is the highlight or like the paradigm of why i think md phds are so cool is because you can be taking care of these people and helping facilitate their real world like lives but at the same time understanding the cause like the molecular causes of their disease and what we can be doing to help if not cure them, at least treat them or, you know, incre- increase their quality of life in some way. So I feel like that's like actually one of like the coolest things about MD-PhD. But yeah, I feel like my clinical experience at least like helped show that I had like drive and could understand how to apply the research that or like the knowledge that you gain from research. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. And I hope you'll come back lots and lots here <laughs> on the Short Coat podcast. And let's get the next group in. So I'm going to step in here and um, have a chat with the next batch of incoming M1Gs um, while Jaden takes a little break. Um, So why don't you guys go ahead and introduce yourselves. Hi, everyone. My name is Akansha Jane, and I went to the University of Pennsylvania for undergrad, and I studied biology and chemistry. Um, I'm interested in cancer biology and developing better treatment options when patients develop resistance to current therapies that are used in the clinic right now. Hello, my name is Osama Abu Halawa. Um, I did my undergraduate degree at Co College uh, studying chemistry and religion. And then I did a master's degree at the University of Cambridge in philosophy. Um, yeah, I'm from Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Hi, everyone. My name is Chi Wang. Um, so I went to undergrad at University of Illinois in Bena Champaign. I majored in molecular and cellular biology and chemical engineering. And then uh, my research interest is um, broadly regenerative medicine, but I'm not really sure which area I want to approach it from, like whether that's through engineering or cell therapy. So I'm still working on that. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Maddie Mix. Um, I did my undergrad at Warburg College, which is a small liberal arts college in Iowa. Um, I studied, my, I majored in neuroscience, and my minor was in Spanish. Um, and then I also did a gap year doing research. Um, my research interests are broadly um, in neuroimmunology, specifically how populations of CD4 and CD8 T cells um, interact with the brain and how certain um, neurologic diseases affect the immune system peripherally. Yeah, very nice. So we have a broad group here with a lot of different interests. Um, So next we'd like to talk about um, what every uh, panelist, I suppose, or co-host, whatever (laughs) we want to refer to you guys as, um, 
what uh, you felt was the strongest part of your application um, and made you the most competitive for dual training. Why don't we start with you, Maddie? Sure. Um, So I can think of two aspects, one that's perhaps more on my behalf and one on the aspect of others. Um, I was really lucky by virtue of going to a small college that I really got to know my college professors very closely, um, literally on a day basis, whether I was in their class or not. Um, And I think that really uh, allowed me to have strong letters of recommendation, um, not just on my accomplishments, but also as just like a person. I knew these professors personally had been to their houses, had met their children. Um, And so that kind of level of interaction is not necessarily always common. Um, And then um, just kind of on my behalf, um, I didn't have any publications coming in. I think that's sometimes a misconception for um, applicants feeling that maybe they don't have enough research experience. Um, But one thing that I did do is I applied for just like a small grant through um, uh, Tribeta, which is just a National Biological Honor Society, um, and it was awarded. And I think that's just a way to show that you can um, communicate scientifically um, and that in some small way that you are fundable for what you're doing. Yeah, very nice. That's I remember hearing about Tribeta, and that's the first time I like have had that come up again. Mm -hmm. And you're right, they do offer actually some like sizable grants. Yeah, there are several, if anyone is looking out there, several like honor societies out there. Um, I don't remember their names, but that do have small grant opportunities for students who are interested. Yeah, nice. That's a great mention. Thanks, Manny. How about you, Chi? Um, so I think, I guess like a unique, more unique aspect of my application that is not present in, I guess, a lot of other applications is um, I guess teaching experiences and also like the persistency like I guess um or what's that word for it um like the being consistent in your experiences um especially my teaching experiences has helped me quite a bit um in, in my perspective so maybe not in the admissions com- committee's perspective but I taught um for two years in chemical engineering in my undergrad and that is not just within like freshman year classes but also going on to junior and senior year like level classes. So I think that is something that's, I guess, more unique about my application. But then I would also like to say that um, NDPHD application is not a checklist. Like people should not do things just for checking off items that they think the admissions committee want to hear about. Um, And everyone seems to be agreeing with that. Um, I was gonna say everyone in the room is nodding vigorously at that particular (laughs) statement. Yeah, definitely. So. Do what you're passionate about, be consistent with it, and I feel like that would always shine through in your um, package that you bring in. I was gonna say, it seems like authenticity is like a common theme in how to really stand out in these applications, and it becomes clear very quickly when people are doing things just as a resume builder, which is also okay. You know, you have to pursue different interests to know what you really love, but it it's very obvious when people are just doing something kind of at the minimal level just to say that they were there. So I, I completely agree. And I would say most people in the room agree with that. Cool. What about you, Osama? Um, I have to agree with, well, my, my situation is similar to Maddie's actually, because I also went to a small liberal arts college, um, and coming in, you know, I compared to, you know, most of the MSPs, I don't have as much research experience. I have about six months, which is really not much Mm. at all. Uh, but what I can say is my professors were able to sp- speak to my abilities and passion for research 
deeply enough to, you know, let me into this program. Um, also, uh, another part also, I think, helped me is um, I tend to have a lot of interests. Um, and I think it came through in my application that I pursue a lot of these interests at a deep level. Um, and although, you know, my experiences were a bit scattered, I could still uh, show that, you know, I, I have scholarly interests in many things and I like to integrate different types of fields. Um, so I think that's that's probably the strongest part of my application. Um, yeah, that's all I have to what? say. What? Cat out of town. Having different interests is important in a dual yeah. degree program. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what a novel concept. I hadn't heard of that. And yeah, it's brilliant. I would agree with Chi is just like, just do what you really love and just, uh, you know, don't try to do what other, even if you're asking for advice from like other MSTP students or MD PhD students, like you can ask them for advice, but don't do something just because they told you to do it. Just do what you really love. I had a lot of prof like professors, even at Co, who were trying to convince me to do other things just for the sake of like getting into programs, and I just I didn't listen. And I knew they were well intentioned, but I knew what I really liked to do, and I just did it. And when it came for applications, it comes through that you really want to do something. Yeah, totally. It seems like. Um, and Jade and I were talking about this recently, that there's definitely a strategy to these applications and there's nothing wrong with sort of tailoring your application to the school. You know, if there's something in particular that you've done that aligns well with their mission or like their values as an institution, but it seems like doing what you love is the best way to really stand out. So cool. What about you, Akansha? What do you think? Yeah, I would say that my strongest part was my research experience. Going into college, I knew that I wanted to get involved in research. I really loved doing science in high school. I was a science nerd. I did all these science fairs, and I knew that I wanted to get involved in doing research. So I, I joined a lab freshman year, and actually, I think the best part was that I had a great mentor, and so I, I stayed in the same lab for the four years that I was an undergrad there. And because of my long experience working in the same lab, I was actually able to take on doing my own independent research over the time like I was in the lab to the point at which I was able to contribute to co-authoring a manuscript as well as presenting at a national conference. And then I also took additional time off after graduating to do even more research just because I loved it so much at the NIH. There is an awesome program there where students can do, be part of a post post-bac program where they can um, do research and I decided to do this to get more research experience in a different field because because I was working in the same lab as an undergrad for four years. Yeah that's a great mention actually I don't know if anyone had mentioned that so far but um, I, I'm assuming what you're referring to is the post-bac ERTA fellowship program right? Yep. Um, it seems like a lot of people have done that and it's a it's a big feeder into MSDP. Oh, did you do a Tucci? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. nice. Yeah. Also, so I also did one year post back NIH, and I also did one year at Mayo before that. So. Oh, cool. And I can second on the Mayo. I also spent one year at Mayo. So these seem to be two big feeder programs that are huh. very popular among students applying. That's awesome. It seems like you can cultivate research experiences in different ways, but there's a lot of value in being in kind of a named program that's structured and kind of the the definition or like the explicit purpose is to like mentor people for research and, you know, for going to med school because um, actually I also did the post-bac program and um, it was kind of drilled into me from day one that like I was expected to apply to med school. Not expected, but 
you know, they are investing in you as like a, you know, a budding scientist. And so the expectation is that you'll use that experience and turn it around into, you know, a competitive, like some type of professional application. Um, and so that's interesting. I didn't realize that there were so many people in the room who'd done that, but that's great, great to hear. And also just from like a logistical perspective, it was really convenient to interview during a year where you weren't just like sucked up in classes because you can kind of coordinate your research with your mentor um, to kind of spend these three-day interviews, which is relatively typical for an MSTP interview by the time you travel and everything. Um, it was really nice to have more of that flex time and not have to worry about studying for the next exam coming up. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I would agree with that. The Like at the NIH, a lot of the PIs there, they know that you're applying to medical school to MD-PhD programs. So they know that you have to take time off and they're very relaxed about that. So it's very, they, they allow you the opportunity to take time off and then be able to work on your experiments after your interviews are done. Yeah, I was about to say the same thing. It's nice to be in an environment where they're supportive of that and it's not just tolerated, it's actually encouraged for you to apply. And so that's great to hear. So we'd like uh, you guys to talk a little bit about why you decided to pursue dual training, um, which is something Jaden and I talked about a little bit earlier and you know the benefits of the, of the two types of training and the two ways of thinking. Um, but if you have any particular reasons why that was really appealing to you, you know, we'd love to hear it. Um, I guess I can start. Um, I do have something that's a little bit, I, well, going along with my teaching experiences, I do um, want to pursue teaching as part of my career. I didn't want a nine to five job. I wanted to do something that can significantly contribute to the society. Um, so I thought, you know, what better way can I do it other than teaching? You know, if you're, you're, if you're a medical professional, and you are teaching along the way of your career, you are technically influencing more people who can go on to influence further more people. So, um, so that was my kind of like what I, how I start thinking about um, going to MD PhD. Nice. What about you, Maddie? Um, so I always kind of had like this feeling inside me that like both science and medicine were where I wanted to be. But it really wasn't until like halfway through the application cycle that I feel like I was able to express it in a really succinct way, because that's really difficult in the context of like a short interview. Um, and I think like the best way that I can describe it is that I personally feel that I can best provide for patients and future patients by integrating the element of research to their care. Um, and I think probably a lot of that drives or stems from the fact that I'm interested in diseases that really don't have a great standard of care currently. So I'm really interested in um, traumatic brain injury, uh, neurodegenerative diseases, neurovascular diseases. And right now, um, the course of care is just not as optimal as it is for, you know, more common uh, diseases. And so I just kind of have felt myself that going into clinic um, without that research experience would just be kind of a, a draining experience without kind of having that hopeful aspect of kind of contributing to future treatments or future understanding of what's going on in these in these conditions. And so I think it's just really hopeful and optimistic. Um, also, and I guess this kind of goes along with advice, but um, I'm a very data-driven individual, and I think that's kind of a special characteristic that not everyone has, 
one of my like Clifton strength finders is that I'm analytical. And so like we had to talk about this like during some of our orientation activities. And so when people would ask me like, what does that mean? I'm like, I just really love data. And like for a lot of medical <laughs> students, they just like their eight, like eyes glaze over a little bit. Like yep. they drool, like I'm totally exaggerating, but like it's not something that everyone has. And so if you have that like little fire inside of you, I think it's really important to pursue it. Yeah, I like the way you framed that, having a fire, like the fire of curiosity mm-hmm. and about making something good even better using information. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, that's fantastic. And actually, Jane and I were talking about this before you guys came in about kind of the distinction between medicine and science and you know how this population that we're creating with dual training sort of is bridging the gap between two professions that almost used to be the same because, you know, it wasn't that long ago that like even just being able to diagnose a disease was really progressive and like, you know, kind of the state of the art. And only very recently have we been able to like actually intervene in disease and either slow it down or cure it altogether. And so as physicians have moved more in the direction of applying information to care, you know, we've sort of lost the ability to sort of study what we're doing just because the sheer workload is so great. And so having people who bridge that gap and maintain that identity in medicine is great, really useful. Well, my reasoning is sort of similar to Maddie's. Um, I want to, so I knew that going into college that I was very passionate about science. So I was really looking into PhD programs at first and I knew that I wanted to do research and be in the lab and that's something that I would enjoy. But then I realized that this experience would, I wouldn't get the human connection that I I also wanted with the patients. So I started shadowing as well, shadowing physicians. And I saw that being able to have this connection with the patients that I was seeing uh, would be something that would inform my research as well. And I think motivate me as well. And I think that's why I ended up wanting to do the dual degree ultimately over PhD programs, because I wanted to not only be in the lab doing the research and being able to advance medical, our current medical knowledge on certain diseases, but also meet with the patients that have those diseases as well and see how current conditions, can, like seeing how my clinical experiences can inform my research. And I'm also very passionate about terminal conditions and that's why I'm currently did a summer rotation in a cancer biology lab and I think for me personally, I think being able to have both degrees, the MD as well as the PhD, would allow me to best provide the best care to these patients. Not only will, will I be able to provide them with direct care, but then I would also be able to go back to the, to the lab when I have patients that unfortunately I have to tell them that I can't provide them with a better treatment, that unfortunately there is no better treatment that currently exists for them. I can go back to, to the lab and study the mechanisms that we currently don't have enough knowledge about to provide them with those treatments and find a way to bring that treatment to the clinic eventually. Yeah, that's very astute. It seems like to some degree everyone's motivated by the fact that you are reminded of who you're helping as opposed to you know being in a lab on a permanent basis and not having any contact with the people who would directly benefit from your work. So that's nice to hear. What about you, Osama? Yeah, so sort of uh, going off all these answers, you know, I have a bit of similar experiences. Initially going to, into college, I, you know, I thought I was interested in medicine, partly because I, I, I saw medicine as like this umbrella, that there's many different moving pieces in medicine that I can get involved in. 
and as someone who likes to do a lot of different things and integrate a lot of different uh, ideas and uh, you know fields um, I thought medicine was a pass for me but then I did basic science research and I really loved being in the lab and I had an, an experience my second summer of research with a PI who was a physician scientist and I'd be shadowing her between the clinic and lab and she's going from like a patient and directly using her uh, basic lab uh, experience to inform her patient uh, decision making and uh, vice versa. And I, I saw that integration as, as very cool and necessary uh, because I, was, I had also shadowed doctors and while I was shadowing I would also like feel a bit disappointed when there were cases where the doctors you know couldn't really do anything and they not only that, but they wouldn't even, like, once the case was done, there was no, like, you know, time to reflect or think about why something wasn't going right. Uh, doctors, you know, are just very busy, and they don't have the time set out for that. Mm -hmm. And a career as a phys physician scientist gives you that time, whether you want to be in the clinic more or whether you want to be in the lab more. You can do both, and you have a bit of time to integrate information. Um, and, yeah, I didn't say my research interest at the beginning. So I think I'm interested in, like, neuroscience, cognitive neuroscience, and... I'm really passionate about trying to create like a coherent body of knowledge at these different levels of explanation uh, to contribute to patient care and a lot of like mental health or neurodegenerative diseases. Um, and so, you know, having, as a physician scientist, you're also a scholar, so you have time set out to really think about these hard problems and engage with a community of other people who care about the same issues you do. Um, and it's just a really unique path that I thought I, I really wanted to do over like a normal PhD program or an, a, just an MD program. Yeah, that's fantastic. You um, you actually just reminded me of an experience I think that was sort of critical for me when you were talking about the opportunity to be thoughtful about what you're doing as opposed to just, you know, a very formulaic application of an algorithm, which a computer can do. Um, I think for me, one of the critical moments was, um, so when I was working at NIH, I shadowed uh, in the clinical center which um, for anyone who's not familiar with NIH, it's like a hospital on the campus uh, of NIH, but it's not like a normal hospital where like you or I would go. It's, it's sort of a last stop for people with like extremely complex cases um, and very rare diseases. Um, but they do have an ICU where, you know, some of these patients who are receiving treatment or you know, undergoing trials will end up, um, you know, when things go very wrong. And I remember I would shadow at the rounds, and what I found amazing, you know, compared to sort of community community primary care, is that um, the physicians and the medical team that would be discussing each case would, like, cite their own work um, as part of, like, their decision for, you know, like, well, I did research on this particular organism, and in our experience, or in our hands, you know, this antibiotic would work better. And I just found that really fascinating. You know, they would bring like binders of like their own work and cite each other's work. And it, it was exactly, you know, like what you're talking about, Osama, just very thoughtful and very interdisciplinary. And also, you know, you have people who have not just medical expertise, but research expertise. And so, and they know the data and they're integrating all of that, you know, as opposed to just like following a decision tree. And so I, I think that was my first exposure, you know, as I was working in the lab, you know, for a pathologist, but a pathologist who didn't do traditional medical work. I thought that was really interesting to see people like, like literally at the intersection of science and medicine. So that really resonated with me. So I think another important question that we could maybe pose to the group is, 
why we chose Iowa MSTP um, or just generally what we liked about it when we interviewed or what we like about it now that we're all such good friends. (laughs) Yeah. Do you want to start us off? Osama? I can start off real quick, just a short blurb. Uh, Because like I have too many interests, particularly in the sciences and humanities, when I applied, I asked them like, would you let me do a PhD in philosophy if I really wanted to? They're like, yeah, sure. If you come up with the right project, then go for it. And so that was a big reason why I said, okay, you know, this is a program that really like is tailored to what you want to do. And they really work with you to find your interests and passions. Because when I was applying to other schools, you know, I would ask them some of the questions like, no, we really just want like biomedical sciences, which is, of course, the primary reason. But I think there are other avenues for MD-PhDs to explore in as well, such as like public health. And I know Iowa's program was very crucial in like bridging the public health and MD divide. Uh, so that's my quick blurb about why. Especially in biostatistics, I kind of want to put a plug in there for people who are interested in that. Um, I feel like we have a really strong population of students here who are in epidemiology or um, biostats. Uh, we had a guest speaker recently um, for our MSTP retreat who was a former Iowa MSTP graduate. Um, and he's at Mayo Clinic and researches uh, the status of mental health among uh health students and health providers. And so I think that is very much encouraged to have these diverse interests. I think we can name him, right? Dr. Colin West? Yeah, yeah, yeah. he was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna Top endorse secret. Dr. West. <laughs> yeah. You're not allowed to know, audience members. Only we may have that information. Yeah, you're getting ahead of us because I wanted to have him on the podcast. Oh. <laughs> oh, this is a preview foreshadowing Dr. West. <laughs> this is us actually informing him of our interest in having him on the show. So hopefully he gets the e-link to the yeah. show. I'll be um, sure to tweet it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Maddie, as you were talking about the the emphasis on biostats in our program, I was literally counting on my fingers how many people we have. And then I saw Jaden doing the same thing. We actually do have like a decent number of people mm-hmm. who are doing things that are not basic science research or like wet lab work, but are equally, you know, informative and contribute to medical knowledge. So mm-hmm. that's a great contribution. Thank you. I think, and I want to echo that, it's just that the program itself not only have great people that I met and became friends with, but also just really encourages individual development. So I've not going to name that program that I talked to, but I've talked to one program that literally told me that one of the stuff that they advertise, advertise on their website um, that I won't have time for. So I, talked, I asked the guy, I was like, well, can I do this that you advertise? And then he was like, well, you won't have time for that. So, mm. but Iowa has, you know, very personalized, it seems like very personalized curriculum. So you can really make it what you want it to be. And that's one of the perks of coming here. It's pretty flexible. Yeah. yeah. Akanji, you were going to say something. Yeah, for me, it was like the, the primary reason I chose Iowa was it's the, the people here are amazing. So when I was interviewing, I think the students, they felt they felt very excited to be in the program. They were happy. They have, they talked about everything that they were part of in the city as well as, so they had lives outside of what they were doing in addition to being uh, in the program. So I think that was number one. And also I think because the program is such a long program, it's seven to eight years. I think another part is the support structure that's put into place. The directors, the administration, the students, as well as all the resources that the Carver School of Medicine provides to the medical students. I know that I would feel very supported here throughout my entire stretch of the, however long it would take me to complete the program. So 
those are the two primary reasons why I chose to come to Iowa. Nice. Yeah. Um, I would definitely echo the people. I think it was apparent from the first day that we were here that if you're going to be in a program anywhere, MD-PhD is distinguished anywhere, that you want to be happy for eight years. Um, and I definitely felt that that was uh, true here. Um, I think it was also apparent just like while we were interviewing, it was not a culture of competition. We all talked to one another. Um, between interviews, we had like candy and coloring books like provided to us. So <laughs> like right. it was very friendly, low stress. And I remember people who kind of came from competitive environments being like, what is happening? Like, is this normal? Like very concerned. Yeah. Um, and, and <laughs> like coming from a very competitive undergraduate mm -hmm. institution, I wanted to be in a place where I didn't have to deal with competition anymore. And I think University of Iowa, I felt very comfortable being here. I thought it was uh, there was a lot more collaborate collaboration instead of competitiveness. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something I agree with as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can also say um, when I was applying, I also had my significant other applying to medical school at the same time. So it was kind of a worse than match. I don't know, kind of scenario <laughs> like we don't really know what you're getting into. Um, but both of us actually got in um key into the md program we affectionately call him the md only friend so. <laughs> <laughs> just an md, just MD. Yeah, um but that was uh it, it was definitely influential and in where i wanted to be long term um but then also i guess going back to people our first year class is awesome like i just want to <laughs> put that out um we i guess we call ourselves the women there's five of us this year it's one of the i think first years there's a uh, majority of women uh, we we Jaden your, your Y chromosome is violently <laughs> outnumbered interesting statistic 65% uh, of MD PhD students nationally are men so yeah. you guys are each of you personally turning that statistic around so. <laughs> yeah so there are five women in our program and one day we were sitting on the penta crest and we were just hanging out and uh, we had to think of something to call ourselves. And so we called ourselves the Pentas. So the women are the Pentas. <laughs> and then... <laughs> um, That's adorable. I guess I can let these three kind of talk about the other name that we have for the guys, because I was not in on the conversation. <laughs> yeah, so when um, me, Osama, Kansha were working, uh, well, like just like walking back home one night after having drinks outside, we decided to call the three guys the three musketeers just because <laughs> they needed a name too we can't leave them out <laughs> so title suggestion pentas and the three musketeers <laughs> oh that's amazing i had not heard of that and i'm so glad that you shared that with us <laughs> So we've got our uh, second half of the first year class who are going to share their specific reasons for why they chose Iowa. So take it away, guys. Okay, I'll go. Um, one of the reasons I chose it was because like playing off of not only the um, other students here were amazing, but also just the like faculty and staff support system where it's like, you know, some of the programs I interviewed at, you know, I remember asking one student at another program like, oh, how well do they integrate, you know, the MD to PhD transition and then the PhD to MD transition. And they said, oh, no, they don't. Like you pretty much just have to, you know, figure that out and navigate it yourself. And I was like, oh, well, OK. And then I got here and it was like they had layers upon layers upon layers of student support for those things because it 
you know, that transition could be pretty difficult. And so that was the big reason where I knew that, like, I wasn't going to be, you know, left out to drown. Like, I was going to be supported through all eight years I was here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I'm going to echo what Akancha said earlier. It's just, like, like hands down, straight up, like, the people. Um, I think something that I'm nervous about, and this is kind of going back to what I was talking about earlier, is I really I'm looking forward to cultivating like the more my more scientific side and building my like, you know, inner scientific skills. And that's something that I was really nervous about coming into a program. But here everyone seems so welcoming to all levels of scientific skill and knowledge and ability. And so, um, yeah, I was I'm really into like the mentors and the other students and like we at the um, interview um, events like the other student activities that we had with the students everyone seems so happy and so so, like it's just what everyone has been saying like the students are really the true reflection of the program and so it's kind of like yeah that's kind of why i chose here um my answer isn't meant to discount any social aspects or welcoming support systems or anything like that because i think that's all important but I, i mean the reason i applied here and probably ultimately came here is the lab and institute that i just did my first rotation and i think I got interested uh, because they're really using the type of research I'm interested in to actually develop cures to real diseases to treat real patients that they see in the clinic. It's not really an abstract thing, like potentially this could be useful someday in 50 years, but they want to do it here at Iowa. Um, And I think I just wanted to do my training at at an institution and in an environment where people thought that that was possible in an academic setting. that research wasn't just a exercise to make you look good for your next position, but that it could actually, you know, affect medicine, uh, maybe hopefully in the time frame that, you know, I'm here in the next eight years. Uh, very briefly, for me, it was the real sense of community here at Iowa, as cliche as that sounds. Whenever I was interviewing here, you know, I really got the feeling that there was a sense of togetherness throughout all of the um, all of the classes. So, you know, from m1g to m6g there there was a real sense of togetherness and and i feel like that environment is very conducive to to learning and mentoring and advising and so yeah here at iowa i, I just you know the people were great like a conscious said and and hannah echoed um and there was just there was just a real sense of of everybody trying to push each other forward rather than hold each other back yeah I definitely got that impression going. All right. Well, um, we want to say thank you to the M1G class for coming in and sharing their thoughts and their experiences, their rationales for doing what they're doing now and this path that they're starting down um, in their training. And so uh, after that uh, discussion, so Jade and I had a couple of things that we wanted to touch on before we close out this episode. Um, Jen, when you go ahead and get us Yeah, started. so I just wanted to make sure, because um, we've kind of mentioned it at a few points, that we talk about just how diverse a career as a physician scientist can be. Um, you know, our wonderful first years talked about um, getting PhDs in biostatistics and philosophy. And I know while I was interviewing, I met an applicant who wanted to get her MD and get a PhD in economics. I mean, this is really, you can, you can meld medicine with almost any area of science with a little bit of creativity and and curiosity. And so I want to make sure we highlight that, that you don't have to only be interested in biochemistry or cell biology or immunology. 
um, even though you're a lot cooler if you like immunology. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, Um, immunology is the best. No bias is just a fact. Um, And then kind of the second thing I wanted to talk about was the alternative paths to becoming a physician scientist. We spent a lot of time today talking about um, the MD-PhD path and MSTPs because that's the path we're on. Um, But there's lots of different um, ways of getting to a physician scientist career. Um, There's lots of MDs who run labs and do science who did residencies with protected research time or did fellowships with protected research time. And that's when they learned how to do research because it's a different skill set. So the key is just at some point you have to learn those skills. Um, And if you get into medicine, there's lots of opportunities to do that. So I wanted to highlight that. Um, I wanted to highlight that you don't have to be an MD, PhD. There are DO PhDs out there doing excellent science. Um, And then, Aline, I was hoping you could talk about your path to this path, right? How how did you get here? Because I think a lot of people, um, I hope we have a lot of like M1s listening and stuff who maybe couldn't pull the trigger on an MD PhD program, but are truly interested in science. And maybe your story could help them figure out where to go from here. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, We sort of started to touch on that kind of at the tail end of our discussion with the M1Gs. And um, it was really informative for me to hear about, you know, kind of the more traditional way of applying to these programs and kind of the distinctions between different programs. Um, So, just to go over briefly my background. Um, so I applied to the University of Iowa as an MD student and um, I interviewed and I, I really had no ties and have kind of, I guess I do now have some ties, but at the time I didn't really have any ties to the Midwest. Um, I didn't have family here and um, I'm not uh, American by ethnicity. Um, I moved here from a different country. And so um, I have family, you know, in different parts of the States, but mainly on the coast, not really in the in the heartland. Um, but I'm sure everyone knows that like AMC directory of med schools uh, that you get, that you leaf through to, you know, see where your numbers fit and where you'd be a competitive applicant. Um, and so, you know, my numbers were competitive for Iowa and I thought I would give it a shot. Um, and actually I applied twice. The first time around I didn't get in anywhere. And uh, that was pretty tough. Um, but I gathered myself up and I applied a second time. And actually there was a postdoc in my lab at NIH who looked at the list of schools that I was applying to and asked me why there weren't any Big Ten schools. And I had no idea what that meant because um, I'm not Midwestern. And also, you know, I, I you don't You weren't know. a college football fan? Yeah, college I was going to basketball. Say, oh, don't let anyone hear you say that. <laughs> it's deadly around here. Um, no, I don't know anything about football. Uh, I know that there's um, like a ball-like implement that gets thrown between people and the ball's only in play for a couple seconds, then it stops. And so um, I didn't know what Big Ten was at all or, you know, what institutions made up the Big Ten. Um, but uh, this postdoc uh, went to the University of Indiana and, um, you know, sort of made a list of potential good schools for me to apply to that include the University of Iowa. And so I did. Um, and when I came here to interview, it was very distinctive um, just how community oriented. I know that's a word that comes up a lot, but it's really like the perfect word to describe the environment here. It's very community oriented. You feel very cared about 
Um, and from the first moment that I set foot on campus, like even just meeting the student who agreed to host me, which I thought was a really nice thing. I, I don't know that many schools offer that. Um, but when I was applying and I was invited for an interview, um, it was an option made available to me to stay with a fourth year student um, for the day of my interview. Um, so I had kind of a like a personal native local person to show me around town and to orient me to the program. And uh, she was a doll. But everyone I met here was just very positive and very warm and, and happy. I think most importantly, very happy. And there was a sense that people were succeeding uh, with each other as opposed to despite each other. Um, and so I did the first year of med school. And then um, the first summer after the first year of med school, typically people get um, a little bit of a break to do you know, some public health work or global health or research. Uh, in Iowa, we have a special program called MECO, where you do kind of a rotation in a, sort of a different part of the state. Um, and so I ended up doing uh, like our summer research fellowship. And I had a lot of uh, research experience coming into med school, but I never felt competitive enough. It was not even on my radar to apply to an MSDP. Um, because when I was at NIH, I had heard of um, MD-PhD programs and MSTPs, but the people, you know, in my cohort that were applying for this were, you know, really top, top, top performers, you know, very high achieving. Um, and it's not, it's not to say that I didn't do well, but, you know, they were really like next level performers. And so I just didn't have the self-confidence maybe to give it a try, um, and that's okay looking back because sometimes, you know, you have to give things time and they have to sort of come up organically. And so it just wasn't the right time for me. But I did end up here and I did the first year of med school. And then I worked uh, in John Houtman's lab. Dr. Houtman is our course director uh, for Mechanisms of Health and Disease II uh, in the spring semester of the first year of med school. Uh, he's an immunologist and a dedicated educator and um, a very devoted mentor of many different types of students, undergrads, med students, grad students, etc. And so I had a really nice experience in his lab that summer. And at the end of it, you know, we were talking about ways that I could come back on a more long-term basis. And that's when he asked me, you know, if I'd be interested in applying to the MSTP. And I didn't know what that meant. Um, but apparently there was a mechanism for sort of internal students, people already here to apply to the MSTP. Can I cut in here real quick? Yeah, go for it. This is what uh, most programs call second cycle admissions to um, MSTP and MD-PhD programs. And just a little side note, in my experience, most programs have second cycle admissions, but not all. So if that is something you are exploring, just check with your local MD PhD program directors and they can probably let you know whether or not that's an option or if there's other mechanisms to help you become a physician scientist because there almost certainly is. Yeah. So sorry, Aline. No, no, that's excellent. Um, I'm glad you mentioned that. I wonder if, you know, if some schools who don't have that option, you know, if you were a student there and you were interested, I feel like that would show like a lot of initiative on your part to say like, okay, I came here as an MD student, but I'm really interested in research and being here has really, you know, set a fire to my passion for research and I'd love to be a part of this program. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that that would carry a lot of weight. Um, and so that is a possibility here. And I 
uh, entered the MSDP in that way, and several other people in my class and some friends have entered the program in that way. And um, I, I think my, my research background definitely made me competitive. Um, and I did well enough, I would say, in the first years of med school to, or sorry, pardon me, in the first year of med school um, to be you know, considered seriously. Um, and so I, I think I'd always had research on my mind, but I, I didn't necessarily have the insight uh, to know that you know, it was important to go to grad school to really get rigorous scientific training. And I thought I would get some of that in med school. And once I got to med school, I realized that you know, the, at Iowa anyway, there's really a strong focus on patient care. You know, because we're um, you know, a state institution, a public institution, which is a point that Jaden made that I thought was really astute, is that state institutions, especially in a place like Iowa where there are only two medical schools, um, us and Des Moines University, um, you know, a big focus of the University of Iowa is training people uh, to, to stay here and practice here and serve the people of Iowa. Um, and so that is a big focus. However, I will say, you know, something that was mentioned by the other students is that the University of Iowa is a strong research institution as well. You know, very liquid, very collaborative. There are some institutions that say they're collaborative, but Iowa is one of the few places that is, you know, collaborative, not just in word, but in deed. Um, it's not unusual, you know, for emails to pop up in our inboxes saying, you know, from a totally different department or just from a different college saying, hi, you know, my name is so-and-so. I really need some reagent, but I don't want to invest, you know, $400 in something I might just use once. Can anyone just spare me a couple of aliquots or a couple of my no problem at all you know there's some places where people wouldn't help each other out like that and i think that says a lot about the environment here besides the fact that you know not only do faculty at the university of iowa collaborate with people all over the world but collaborate a lot collaborate also a lot with each other and i think that's really important um and conducive to a really productive research environment so you mentioned you thought um you would get more science training in medical school. And I just wanted to clarify what I think you mean is uh, medical students get tons of science education, right, mm-hmm. on scientific topics, but they we don't receive education on how to do science, mm-hmm. on how to set up experiments, how to analyze results, write grants, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that's just that's not unique to Iowa. That's simply um, in modern medicine, there's not enough time to learn medicine in four years, let alone try to learn medicine and science. And so it's, yeah, we, we, we've kind of grazed over this, this idea a few times, but they're just simply, you know, MDs and PhDs are simply training you for different tasks. Yeah, absolutely. That is an important distinction. Um, Learning about science, and learning how to execute science are very different things. And and that's actually that's exactly what I noticed is that, you know, we learn a lot of science and we learn a lot of, you know, the vocabulary so that you're literate, you know, as a physician um, and how to read a paper and how to interpret results and how to judge, you know, critically judge a paper. Um, but as far as like producing those findings yourself, I realized I wasn't gonna get that training in medical school. And um, if I really wanted to be, you know, competitive or productive, I guess, as a future faculty or a future physician or a future, you know, researcher or educator, it seemed like maybe taking the time to do 
a degree that is explicitly designed to train people on how to think. You know, in particular, you know, for me and for Jaden, I think uh, is the route he'll end up going is in immunology. But, you know, what you end up studying in your PhD is not what you have to do the rest of your life. You know, it's a very important um, feature of PhD programs to teach you how to ask questions, how to answer questions, how to be resourceful, how to design like really elegant experiments instead of just producing mountains of data. You know, anyone can generate data, but not everyone can answer questions, ask and answer questions. And so um, I think too, the important factor for me that I haven't mentioned yet, Jaden, is um, the chemistry that I felt as a protege to John Houtman as my mentor. Um, not, not all labs, or I should say, you know, not all mentor-mentee pairings are super effective. And sometimes, you know, they can be a little bit superficial if you're sort of routed in one direction or another, just as like, you know, as part of an application, you state a certain research interest, they'll pair you up with someone that they think might be a good fit, but it doesn't always click. Um, but John had exactly the type of management style and the type of mentoring style that really worked for me. And I felt really productive and happy that summer, um, more than I'd been kind of in a while. And so I really jumped at the chance to come back to his lab and, and keep working on some of the things that we had started working on. And um, so I applied. And actually, we were very lucky. Uh, in my year, uh, they ended up taking three students three people um, from our MD class. Pretty remarkable. Yeah. Um, oftentimes, second cycle admissions, you know, it's it's notable if we have a single student apply and end up joining us on the MD PhD path. So yeah, that's, yeah. that was an incredible year. Yeah, we were really lucky. Um, that's exactly what I'd heard from Pam and Steve, from our directors and other students that typically they only ever accepted one, maybe two students at mm -hmm. a time. And um, it was really just kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity, I would say, to get in. And um, and I really I, I liked certain things about med school. It's definitely a very emotionally taxing experience. Um, you know, for someone who loves to study and who likes solitude, it was too much even for me. And what I really liked about grad school uh, is that I, I felt like an individual again. And especially in the MSTP, I felt like a, an individual, yeah. There's a sense that our directors and other students are really invested in you as a person and they care about your interests and about your passions and they wanna support you, you know, the way that makes the most sense for you. And so I think Chi made a really good point about how you can, you have control here over how you design the way that you go through this program. And I think that's a really valuable insight um, as someone who didn't interview at other MSTPs and doesn't really know how to judge one program or another. But from what I've heard, we have truly an exceptional program in that sense. And so now I'm not sure if, I've probably said this, I think in other episodes, but um, I've now done the first years of med school and I'm in my second year of grad school and I love grad school. It's so great. I mean, I love this program and I love, uh, you know, just the sense of community and, you know, different personalities get along better than others. And so there's there's always people you're going to get closer to than others, you know, in such a large group of people. Um, but everyone is very respectful and kind and thoughtful and empathetic, 
truly empathetic. And I feel like that extends from, you know, just the boots on the ground students all the way up to kind of the people who lead our program. Um, who serve as our advocates. So, yeah. Yeah. There you have it, folks. Yep. The lore of Aline. You've been wondering <laughs> for years. You've heard her voice time and time again. Yeah. And I'm sure you've wondered, how did she get here? And now you know. Yep. The legends are true. The legends are true. I do have scales under my clothes. Yeah. Um, no, just kidding. But, yeah, I think I yeah. might have hinted at that a couple times, yeah. like, on the show. So... It's nice to tell that story and let people know that, you know, you don't have to decide when you're applying to med school that this is what you want to do. There's there's opportunities down the road to get involved in research, you know, as Jaden mentioned, you know, not just as an MD PhD, but there's plenty of research opportunities as an MD. Yep. If you do, you know, I guess a lot of residencies now are taking notice of the fact that you have physicians who are interested in science but maybe don't have the research training, but they still want to be involved. Absolutely. So you know, the MSTP and MD-PhD programs are a wonderful opportunity to kind of get your foot in the door early and get that expertise early, but it's never too late. One MSTP director at a uh, very research-heavy institution told me um, he was actually an MD. He did not have a PhD, but he was the director of the MD-PhD program. He said, the thing with science is you have to learn those skills so you can learn them now or you can learn them later, but you have to learn them. And so I think that's what it comes down to. There's lots of different paths to being a physician scientist. You just have to find the one that works for you. Um, one other opportunity I wanted to mention is a lot of medical schools have like funded years you can take as a medical student um, where you step away from the curriculum and do a year of research. Um, so that's another great opportunity. There was one other thing you talked about, Aline. You said, the rest of my life. You said, what I want to do with the rest of my life or something along those lines. Hmm. Did I say that? I'm you, trying to remember. You did say the words, rest of my life. Yeah, I say that. And then I also say, when I grow up. I'm yes, <laughs> yes. So I want to talk about the rest of our lives. Yes. Because while to us right now, it doesn't seem like this will ever end, um, <laughs> you know, eight years of training followed by several more in residency and fellowship, eventually it will end and we will be in the quote unquote rest of our lives. So I just kind of want to take a minute to talk about a career as a physician scientist, because um, kind of the the dream idea for a lot of us is to run a lab, but also see patients once a week or take call for a couple weeks every few months, something along those lines. Um, and again, I just want to highlight that that's not the only way. Um, as they mentioned earlier, there are physician scientists out there um, with backgrounds in biostatistics studying physician burnout. There are physician scientists who only see patients. There are physician scientists who only do research. There are physician scientists who only teach or only work in an administrative role. And so I just want to say that kind of the beauty of a career as a physician scientist is you are qualified to do a lot and you get to mix and match those different hats to find a career that works for you. Um, and I think that's pretty unique amongst careers to be able to have that power to choose how you spend your time. Um, and a MD-PhD program director 
um, told me something that has really stuck with me, which was it doesn't have to stay the same. You know, maybe when you start your career, you're spending 90% of your time on research to try and get your lab going. Maybe partway through your career, you're spending a lot of time teaching. But then maybe at the end of your career, you're a dean or something, and you're spending a lot of time doing administration. So that's a very important aspect to this career for me is that you got to choose how it works and it changes over time. I think that's a great thought. I think that's a nice one to end on. Yeah, what do you think? I agree. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys, for joining us. Um, hopefully you get something out of this. I feel like we got a lot from just talking about it. Um, and got to know some of our classmates on a deeper level than time really allows sometimes in med school and grad school. So so uh, if you like what you heard today, I'm going to quote Dave on this. Uh, we hope we've earned your subscription for the Short Coat podcast and potentially some interest in future special episodes about the MSDP, about research as a physician um, and research in medicine. Uh, so please let us know what you think. Um, send your comments, your thoughts, uh, your feedback to the short Coats at gmail.com or you can leave Dave a message at 347 short CT. So that's it for today. Thank you so much. Thanks everybody.